right, it's good to be with you all again. Uh, so glad that Emmy's asked me to, to fill in today and Wednesday and then uh, next Wednesday. Children. Ah, yes. Children, head on downstairs. They're already, they're already going without, without me, so, but yes. <laughs> Feel free. Send the kids downstairs and that'll be good. But we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3. And uh, dealing with crossing the Jordan River. And what this, what this pictures in our lives as Christians is that of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in order to serve God. And that's what we need to look at today. I really believe, and I've had to struggle with this chapter myself, fasting over it, because I had to deal with some of the mis-teachings mis that I've clung to. And so as we look at this, I think it's, it's good to begin just a brief little uh, history of what's been going on. I know you've been going through uh, the Deuteronomy, and, and, but that's important. But we need to understand that the, just, just the background again. Here we have the nation of Israel. They're in bondage in Egypt. And God sent Moses, their deliverer, to bring them out of Egypt. Moses brought them out, and then he led them through the Red Sea arriving at Mount Sinai where they receive the law of God so they can learn the ways of God. And that's important. Israel, because of disbelief, though, instead of going 30, 30, 45 days later into the promised land, they did not trust God to move forward into, that, in, into the promised land, believing that God would do those things that he said he would do. And so because of that disbelief, they ended up wandering in the desert for almost 40 years until the next generation came along and the old generation died off. And see, now in our text here in Joshua chapter 3, we see the next generation poised to enter the land by crossing the Jordan River. And so everything that we see that has taken place parallels that of Christ and what he has done for his church. We too were in bondage to sin and death. We too needed a savior. We needed a deliverer. And our deliverer was and is and has always been the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way out was through the work of Jesus on the cross his death, burial, and resurrection, where we acknowledge publicly our sin. We acknowledge our need to repent and accept what he has done, his sacrifice on our behalf. And that's the picture that we see here. In fact, Paul makes reference to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2, where he says, and if you have your Bibles, you can keep 1 Corinthians open, because I'll be coming back to that several times. But chapter 2, verse, verse 2 says, And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. See, this is a picture, this is our picture of the baptism of the, of the Spirit of God in us, where the Spirit of God, of the Holy Spirit, indwells us at salvation. That's what Jesus did. 
And we need to understand that. And so they pass through the Red Sea. We come to salvation, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. That happens once and once only, and you can't lose it. Then we begin to read and study the Word of God, just like they received the law of God at Sinai. We now have the Word of God before us, and we begin to read and study our Bible so that the Holy Spirit that baptized into Christ's salvation can now lead us into spiritual truth and, and, and into serving a life that is in service to God. But yet, much like the nation of Israel, many of us struggle with that spiritual life. And often fail to trust in the direction of the Holy Spirit and are left to wander in the wilderness. See, that's, that's, a, that's a true reality in a Christian's life today. We want to do things our way and not God's way. They may be good works, good things, but they're not God's things. Done His way. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 10, 3, and 4. It says, And did all eat that same spiritual meat? And did all drink that same spiritual drink? For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. See, we look at that. We look at the manna from heaven. We look at the water that God provided. It was in the wilderness, not the promised land. In fact, we find that when they actually crossed over into the promised land, the manna ceased, and the water, the, rock, the water flew. It didn't follow. You see, too often we want to get into the Word of God, have a head knowledge of the Word of God, but never relinquish control to the Spirit of God in our lives to do the things that God is calling us to do. And so we end up wandering in the wilderness. It causes us to stay where there's a lot of griping and complaining and bickering and moaning and groaning. After all, isn't that what happened to that first generation in the wilderness? Isn't that what happens to churches so often? They gripe and complain, moan and groan. They can't, they can't decide any simple thing like, the color of carpet or, or pews or chairs. or They can't decide those things. Why? Because they're in the wilderness. They haven't moved over to the promised land. They haven't learned to relinquish control to the Spirit of God. Which is why, again, in 1 Corinthians 10.5, but with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. See, too often we confuse spiritual warfare with our sin from acting in the flesh. We, 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 we confuse spiritual warfare with God's discipline in our lives. And that cannot take place. 
See, what takes place in the wilderness was not spiritual warfare. It was God simply disciplining his children because of their sin, their unbelief. They were not willing to relinquish control of their lives to God's plan. See, what Israel went through is what so many in the church, I believe in America, is going through today. We're on the bank of the Jordan River, ready to enter into the promised land, but yet unwilling to go. Much like the two and a half tribes that said, hey, life's good over here. We see cattle, we have cattle, we can graze, we can do this. We don't need to go over there. And that's where many stay. You see, spiritual warfare doesn't start until we cross over the Jordan into God's blessing, into his promises. And as we look at Joshua chapter 3, I hope this is going to be challenging to you as it was to me. Because we need to learn to operate in the spirit of God. As it says, comes upon us. Lord God, we come to you and just pray, Father. Your word is truth. And Lord, may you, through your Holy Spirit, speak the truth in our hearts. It is you, not me. It's you that convince your people of your word, the truth of your word. So Father, help me to hide behind you. And may you proclaim your truth. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And so the question is, how does this unfold? How does this happen in a Christian's life? Well, we're going to find out in these 17 verses of Joshua chapter 3. Because I believe you're going to see the truth very practically described. Very simply described. And it's not what you hear wrongfully taught in so many Pentecostal, charismatic type churches but also wrongly taught in many Baptist churches. And so in the first verse, of chapter one, verse 1 here of chapter 3, it says, And Joshua rose early in the morning. Now this is something very important. Okay? Joshua, being a type of Christ, he is that picture of, of, of Christ, he arose early to lead them into the promised land. See, there's a dip, there, there is a blessing to those who rise early to hear from the Word of God, to hear from the Lord, to allow the Lord to set their path for that day. Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5 says, And the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned. Notice the Lord God did that. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Don't you hear some of the words of Paul? Be ready in season and out season. Who does that? The Holy Spirit of God does that for us. He waketh me morning by morning. He waketh my ear to hear as the learned. How many times do we hear Jesus in, in the uh, Revelation 2 and 3? Those that have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. Right? The Spirit says. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not 
rebellious. See, here's the thing. When we rebel against what the Spirit is saying to us, we stay in the wilderness instead of crossing over. Neither turn away back. See, this speaks of hearing from the Lord or allowing the Lord to plan out our day. Jesus was never too busy to do what the Father asked him to do. And I'm going to talk more about this Wednesday in chapter 10 of Joshua because there's a lot there. But we have to understand we are the ones that have become too busy with the things we want to do. And so don't have time to do the things God is wanting us to do. And so that's an, that's an important lesson. Joshua, Joshua rose up early in the morning. And we're going to find, he said it here, it was a practice with Joshua, I believe. Now in the remainder of that verse, it says, And they moved from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. Now, what we see here is that here they are on the bank of the Jordan River for three days waiting for what? They're waiting for the movement of God in their lives to lead them over into the promised land. They're waiting there. Okay? Now, don't get caught up, oh, three days. No, because... I can go in Scripture. The, the, the disciples were told to go wait in Jerusalem, and they ended up waiting 10 days. The wait number of days is insignificant. Okay? Point is, there was a wait. Because it's, it's the movement of God. And now in the nation of Israel, the movement of God was seen when the what? Ark of the Covenant would move. That's the movement of God. And so we have to understand that. And so they were waiting for the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, and, and, and we see the same waiting period there. And so here they are, they're waiting. And so we also should be waiting for the movement of God. I think Henry Blackaby and his experience in God, he, he was very clear about this. We need to be about our daily business, but after we come to the Lord in prayer in the morning, he will show us what God would have us to do, whatever it might be. And then we are to go through that day looking for something that only God can do. Okay? Only God, only the Holy Spirit is going to draw someone to ask spiritual questions. Satan's not going to do that. And so when you see those kind of questions asked, that's your invitation to go join the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in that person's life. And so we've got to wait for that movement of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives to lead us into his work. We have to be ready to go after whatever the Holy Spirit leads us to go after. And that's the challenge so often because, oh, Lord, I can't, go, I can't go there. And we have that rebellion that comes up. Oh, I can't do that. You're right, you can't, but God can. But he waits for us to put feet to his instructions. See, we are in need of the Holy Spirit and can do nothing without him. We can't get ahead. And so look at the, listen to the command here in verse 3 through 4 and 4. Listen to the command that is given. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests of the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. We are to follow 
what the Holy Spirit of God is doing. We're to follow. How many times you hear someone, oh, God's my friend, and I'm right up here with God, and we're just walk together, right? That's unscriptural. That's arrogant. That's prideful. Look at all the great men of God. What do you see them doing? Falling on their face before God. Repenting of their sin. Following after the Lord. Verse 4 of our text. Yet there shall be a space. Look at this. Between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. Otherwise, about a half mile, three quarters. They were, to, they were to stay about a half mile away, three quarters of a mile away from the ark. That's how far away they're supposed to be. Why? Well, it says right here in the verse, Come not near unto it, that, listen, you may know the way by which you must go. If you keep God out in front, then when he takes a right turn, oh, up, we're going, we're taking, we're going right here. All right, let's, all right, we got it. You're able to follow his directions. But why do you do this? Well, it says it here in this verse too, the last phrase, for you have not passed this way hitherto. As Christians, we are to follow the Holy Spirit's direction. We are to stay behind him, watching him, getting his, his plan. So we don't take that wrong turn. That's what's supposed to happen. Why? Because we haven't gone that way before. After all, the ways of man are all over the place, but, but we don't know the way of God, do we? Only God does. Which is why we have to be very careful and and. and Follow him. Make sure we're behind him, following him. He goes before us, preparing the road. If we get out in front or on the side, we're going to miss it. we got to follow him. See, see, this is what we're seeing here. See, our tendency is to come alongside or to get out ahead. And when that happens, then we end up doing things our way and not God's way. We must give God the space he requires. Not for him, but for us. We need time to react. We need time to, oh, I can't do that, but Lord, well, Lord, I know you can help me. You know, we need time to go and, and, and ask for God's help. We need that time. We're to follow after him. He's doing the leading, which gives us time to respond to him as, as he anoints us into his service. And that, that's, a, that, that, that's, that's important right there. How many Christians have been anointed into God's service? Or are we so busy doing our own good deeds, our own good things, working in the flesh, staying in the wilderness, instead of crossing over by the power of God into the promised land? It's a real question we need to ask ourselves. You see, we're all unique to God. I only saw one burning bush. I only saw one red sea. I only saw, I don't see God mimicking the same thing one person over and over again. I don't see that. It's, we're unique. We are not to copy or duplicate God, what God is doing in this church or that church, and oh, we got to do it here. 
No, folks. God has a plan for this church. And you need to wait upon the Spirit of God to show you. And don't think it's three days or ten days. Wait upon Him. <laughs> and He'll let you know when that time's all right. After all, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things were our examples. Wow, you mean everything that God did in Joshua's life is an example for me? Yes. There's a pattern there that we must have in our lives. There are examples to the intent we should not, what? Lust after evil things as they also lusted. Otherwise, there's an example for us. Don't stay in the wilderness. The proof you're in the wilderness is all the griping, moaning, complaining, bickering. That's the proof. The proof you moved into the spirit of God and doing into the promised land is the love of God that is flow out of your life and it brings unity in the body. Unity is the proof you're not in the wilderness, folks. That's the truth. Now let's look at verse 5 of our text in Joshua 3. Part of that waiting period is right here. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. I mean, I can't sanctify you and you can't sanctify me? No. Sanctify yourselves. Otherwise, you go to the Lord in the morning. Quiet place. Quiet heart before God. And let God show you, hey, this, this, and this are interfering with my Holy Spirit trying to work in your life. You know what keeps us from doing spiritual work? Me. That's what keeps me from doing spiritual work is me. You keep yourself from doing spiritual work. You do. It's our, own, it's our everyday sins. We've, we've, we have got so accustomed to doing things our way that we no longer even recognize them as being sins anymore. But we, we start spending time with God alone. He'll begin to say this and this. Well, oh, Lord, I never, I never even dreamed all these things that I was doing that was hindering the Holy Spirit's work in my life. But that's the truth. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, for them, it was a three-day wait. Like I said, the apostles were a ten-day wait. The disciples, that, when Peter preached at Pentecost, those, those ones that got saved, that 2,000 got saved there, there was no wait in their lives. They began to just do you saw the love of God in their lives. They began to they began unified. And just look at chapters 3 and what all took place. Instant. Others, there was other times. So there's not a set time. Holy Spirit tells you when this. He's the one that does it. Not me, not you. Sanctify yourselves. That means to set apart, to be prepared for something. This speaks of emptying yourself from your everyday sins because your sins limit how much the Holy Spirit can, can, can fill us or come upon us, empowering us for service. Our sins stop that from happening. After all, remember 1 Peter 1, 16? What does it say? Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
our sins, our everyday sins. Now, see, our sin nature has been taken care of. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit. But it's the everyday sins that keep us from recognizing and doing the work of the Spirit of God. Acts, four, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the, of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the, with the women of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brethren. So what we see here is they were being obedient by waiting. They were praying, confessing, searching the scriptures for 10 days. And during that time, the Lord laid upon their heart to, to call another disciple to, to replace Judas. All these things are being done. We also have to understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the disciples experienced didn't happen in Acts. It happened earlier in, Ju in, in Gospel of John, verse chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, 20, 21 and 22. And this was after Jesus' resurrection. Look what Jesus did for them. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send to you. And when he had said this, he what? He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This happened prior to Acts 1, 4, and 5. Prior. This was, if you want to refer to this, as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They received the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this is where the Pentecostals and all the, they have it wrong. The indwelling Holy Spirit is our salvation moment. And if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is in you like he's in me. That's what this is. And again, that happened before. Now Jesus told him, go and wait to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason for it. It's for service. For service. Acts 1, 7 to 8 says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is what? Come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. All right, here's the truth. If you want to use the law for its mention, here's the truth. Why does the Holy Spirit come upon us? So that we can be witnesses for God. What happened to the apostles when the Holy Spirit came upon them? Peter went out and he preached the gospel and 2,000 got saved. To be witnesses. You want to know why it doesn't happen so often? It's because we get all the other junk before the, we, put the, we put the cart before the horse. I got this gift and that gift and this and over here. Oh, I'm, mine's better than yours because I have this too and you don't have this one and that's not what it's about. Even Paul said that in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, all those gifts are great, but they mean nothing without the love of God in your life. And the gift that's given, the, 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 the gift of the Spirit that's given is the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts, which, brought, which brings unity to the body of Christ. Then those gifts, wherever they may be, 
are for service to him. Let's not mistake what's going on here. See, the Jordan River crossing in the lives of the nation of Israel represents the Holy Spirit empowering them because what did the Holy Spirit do? He went before them. He separated the waters, went before them. He put fear in Jericho. He put fear in these, these cities. He, he, he sent hornets and everything to drive some, some cities out. The Holy Spirit did that for them. All they had to do was go in and in faith do what he told them to do. March around Jericho seven times and the walls will fall in. I mean, that, they had to do that. There is obedience they had to do, but the Holy Spirit had gone before them. That's why it's important we follow behind the Holy Spirit. We have a period of waiting for his movement to take place first, and then we join him in his work. See, in verse 5 of our text, And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark and the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel. You know something? Who magnifies who? If we're following the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will magnify those that are filled by the Spirit of God and for His service. Now, I don't think that oh, that's a great, oh, great thing. Let me tell you, many that God used, they also lost their lives. <laughs> it's a serious business, folks. To be sold out for Jesus is very costly for the Christian. Never take it lightly. But this day I'll begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Talking to Joshua. See, Joshua, he was lifted up before the people when he entered the Jordan. Just like Jesus was lifted up before the people when he entered the Jordan at his baptism. What happened to Jesus' baptism? The Holy Spirit did what? Came upon him. When did Jesus do his miracles? Not until after the Holy Spirit came upon him. Wonder why? Because Jesus never did one miracle his entire time on earth. The Holy Spirit did it. That's what's important. Jesus would begin today in prayer, receive the instructions of God, and then he would go out. He was never too busy. Always got everything God did. Always had time to do it. He wants us to operate the same way. And it could very well be, according to John one twenty eight, that the very spot they crossed over may have very well been the place that Jesus was baptized. Don't know. Knowing how God likes, likes his idioms, it may very well be. You know? But the Holy Spirit came upon him. This is, and this is not something new. It's not. It's really an old thing. This, you ever hear the commercial, you know, Time Again for the First Time, you know, Cornflakes commercial? It shows my age, but anyway. You know, taste them again for the first time. Well, that's what, how many times in the Old Testament did the Holy Spirit come upon a prophet, come upon someone? All the time. 
The only difference between now, between then and now is we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and don't think, well, how can you do that? Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit's in me and he's in you and he's in everybody here. That's not a big deal for him, him, him to also come upon me. To give me the words to say at this moment. To anoint me for this service, and, uh, for this work over here. But what stops that again? Our sin that we do every day. That attitude we get against this brother, this sister, this gripe we have over here, those things keep the work of the Holy Spirit at bay. That's why I said only you can stop the Holy Spirit's work in your life and only I can stop the Holy Spirit's work in my life. That's it. That's it. You see, that's so important that we understand this. And so Joshua, what does Joshua do? Again, Joshua is showing us how to do it. He steps out in faith. The Lord told him what he's going to do, but he didn't do it until Joshua began to take steps of obedience. Verse 8, And thou shalt command the priests to bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. Now, this was during flood stage. In fact, it mentions that. And so Joshua, he listens to the commands in, in verse 9. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. Now, this is where we fail so, many often, so often. We feel God's leading us in a direction, but we don't tell nobody about it. Oh, what if it's not true? We disbelieve. And then we wonder why God doesn't do anything. Joshua said, Hereby you shall know the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, all the, all, all the ites that are there. I'm not going to try to pronounce her names. And so the sign of God was with them was that all the enemies will be driven out when they cross the Jordan on dry land. In Zechariah 4, 6, it's not that, that passage we all quote, but we all probably can't remember where it's at. I had to look it up. No, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's the spirit of God that does these things. Spiritual victory only happens through the empowering of the Holy Spirit upon us. And we believe that God will do what he has said. And so to kind of cut this down a little bit here, verses 11 and, and to 13 you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. It's not, not the Jew, the Jew, for the Jews. It's for all the earth. Gentile too was mentioned. That's what's included here. And as soon as the soles of the feet dipped into the brim of the water, they stepped onto dry. It was almost like as there's the water and as they're stepping down, the water just kind of disappeared as they stepped down. So their foot hit dry land. But you want to know what? That wasn't the miracle. That wasn't the miracle. See, the problem so much with us in the church today is if we can't see it, we don't want to believe it. Well, you know, you want to know where the miracle took place? 19 miles upriver is where the miracle took place, by the city of Adam. That's where the water's heaped up. And in God's timing, he knew how long it would take for that last bit of water, when he cut them off, for the last bit of water to get, get it down to when, he, when they stepped in, they had stepped on the dry land. 19 miles upriver took place. 
So the miracle actually took place maybe an hour earlier, 30 minutes earlier. That's where the miracle took place. But we, they didn't see it. See, it's important. This is very important. The Holy Spirit's empowering doesn't start until we have taken the first step in obedient faith. God already knew what's going to happen. So he had already made plans before us. We even got there. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for, by, for we walk by faith, not by sight. When God speaks into your life what he is going to do, first you need to share somebody, share it with somebody. This is what God has mentioned and really impressed upon me. Through his, this is what he's going to do. All right, take steps of faith toward that direction and watch God begin to unravel things for you. That's what's important. He had already stopped the waters before the priests even got there, but they, they didn't recognize it until they stepped in, and they saw, oh, wow, there's no water all, all the way up there. It already, God had already stopped it. But they didn't know it until they stepped in. Luke eleven thirteen, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Like I said, I don't believe in the way the Pentecostals teach it, but I do believe that you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. And from that moment on, you should be serving the Lord God. And those that have that indwelling power is right there with you, like, like they did with, in, after, after Peter's sermon. But for many, don't, it doesn't happen that way. You see other times where it's given. It depends upon you. What God's what wants done? Are you believing? Are you are you being faithful? You see what the Holy Spirit does in us is done in secret. That's that's the indwelling. This that's secret. But as we step out in faith, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and He is made known to all. You know who who was really freaked out about the crossing of the Jordan, other than Jericho? Those people up in the city of Adam looking at. What is going on? Look at all this water. They're the ones that looked and saw the wall of water. Like the Israels, when they went through the Red Sea, they saw the wall of water on both sides, but they didn't see anything here. The water was just gone. But that 17th verse, and we'll close with this. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground, in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. See, the priests remained in the Jordan until every last person had passed over. The empowering of the Holy Spirit here is very clearly seen. Now, I don't have time to go into chapter 4, but chapter 4, and you need to study this. Chapter 4 deals with the proof of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I'll give it to you a little bit ahead of time. What you see when Israel crossed over in chapter 4, 
There's two things. They took some stones, two times, one in the middle of the river and one where they set camp. It's, what that reveals is the unity of the people that came together and their love of Christ because one of the things that's going to happen, oh, by the way, the water's back on flood stages. You're over here and, oops, I forgot to tell you, all you guys ready for war and Jericho's right there, y'all need to be circumcised right now. Ooh. That's something else. That means they're vulnerable to the enemy. They got to trust God. That's the love. Of, that's what. That's what the love of God does in our lives. That we can trust Him, and He unifies us together. That's what's important. That's what's important. See, that's what God pours out into us. It's not the gifts and this and that. It's the gift, His love. And in that, He shows well. I can use you this way, I can use you that way with these other, you know, administration, healing, whatever these other ones may be. But it's the love that he pours out so that they're done right. That's why the Corinthian church messed it all up, because they forgot the love. Let's not mess it up. God pours out his love, which brings in unity, the bond of peace. Then the gifts of God are properly used. For the glory of God in the church. That's the truth. Let's stand and pray. Lord God, as we come before you, you are holy God. And Lord, there's been many, many, much misteaching about this. And I still have things I need to learn about this. There may be some things I might have misspoke on. Lord, if I did, I pray that you'll show me in your word so I can get those right. But I do know, Lord, that in the past what I believe was been wrong. As your Christians, as your children, we, we, we have your indwelling Holy Spirit, but in order to serve you faithfully, we must have the empowering of your Holy Spirit upon our lives so that we can recognize what you are doing around us and we can join you in your work. Because, Lord, the Bible says, without you, we can do nothing. If Jesus said, without the Father, I, he can do nothing, then why do we think we can do something without the Father? Teach us to wait upon you. Teach us to recognize what is holding back your spiritual reality in our life. And when we confess those things and get them right, and then take steps of faith, when we hear from you. And Lord, this invitation here this morning, there's some here today that you are touching their hearts. May they respond. May they respond. These things I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.